what are your goals, right? So is your is your goal just to live as inexpensively as possible? Is your goal to keep it as a rental? Like I have a client where he house hacked his condo and now we're selling his condo because he's gonna upgrade to a house and then house hack the house. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie, and today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we're looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today we have Rick Albert from Los Angeles, California. Rick, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. I'm excited to get into your story today. We have a lot of listeners that are from the coast uh, areas that are a lot more expensive. And we we get uh, a lot of questions kind of surrounding that, uh, ways to go about it. And your story is really intriguing uh, for many reasons. First of all, you're a broker, uh, so you deal with a lot of volume in real estate industry. Uh, but then also you've, you've had personal experience with ADUs, which uh, we get a lot of questions about and, and a lot of people are intrigued with. Um, the ability to uh, convert different areas of a house or build uh, accessory dwelling unit on the property, things of that nature. So we're going to go into your personal story and how you see it get done. And so I'm really excited for uh, today's show. Well, Rick, let's talk about your early beginning, coming out of college, kind of what intrigued you about real estate and what transitioned you into that industry? It was December of 2009. I was a senior in college. And uh, one of my good friends, he's like, hey, why don't you come down and visit? Because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So he's like, hey, come down and visit, meet my dad. He's really big in real estate, mortgage, all that kind of stuff. And um, maybe he can kind of help guide you. So I said, okay, sure. So I talked to him and it just like, it just hit. I was like, real estate is awesome. I started doing more research and it was just one of those things where you can exercise both sides of the brain, right? It's the creative side, whether it's trying to find a deal, trying to add value, but it's also the number side. Do numbers make sense? How do you flip a home? Whatever it might be. Uh, Originally, the plan was to go into commercial. But then when I moved down here, I started working with the developer, which ended up being my friend's dad, where we were buying homes at the courthouse steps for like residential properties. And then we started doing the fix and flips. Or when you buy a foreclosure at the courthouse steps, there's sometimes people still living in the home. So you have to work on getting them out, whether that be cash for keys or going through the court system, whatever it might be. So I started doing that. And then we started selling the homes. We realized we could do it better than a lot of these other agents. So I now work with the brokerage, Lamerica Real Estate. And 
I've been helping clients since 2012. I did my first house hack in 2015. And then I'm um, currently my second house hack here, which we bought back in 2018. Awesome. So, so let's kind of talk about that first house hack. There's a lot of uh, mystery around you know, uh, financing of, of California real estate and stuff. We'll get a lot of questions about that. Talk us through that deal and kind of uh, the financing you chose to go with and, and the deal itself. So didn't have a lot of money. And so I'd saved up enough to do like 10% down on a condo. So I started looking at different condos. I was with my girlfriend, now wife at the time, and she wasn't living with me, but I wanted to get her input. And we started seeing these like done condos and I used done with quotations because I was like, they weren't done very well. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to lie, because I worked with a developer, I'd see what they were doing. I'm like, I mm-hmm. want that. Yeah. Not that I could afford it, but I want it. Mm-hmm. So I said, fine, I'm going to look for the cheapest two bath condo that I could find like near my office. My office is, uh, was located in Sherman Oaks, which for those that aren't familiar with LA, it's in the northern part, San Fernando Valley portion. And I found the condo. It was listed for $245. And what I liked about it is it was in a neighborhood called Tarzana, but it was just north of the freeway, which for some people, they don't realize that is Tarzana. They think it's a different neighborhood, which is at a lower price point. So I get the lower price with a better address. Uh, saw it. She was a heavy smoker. She had lived there for over 30 years and it just sat. It was sitting on the market. And so I said, I can take care of the smoke. I can take care of this kitchen. I can take care of this stuff. So I ended up locking it in for two twenty-five, 10% down. I put about 18,000 into it. Uh, I ended up refinancing. Oh, I didn't have a lot of money. So to help with that, I actually increased my interest rate on my loan. And in exchange, the lender gave me money. And I did that because I knew I was going to refinance after I fixed it up. And so talk about that with the lender. How, how were they able to give you money with the higher interest rate? So what's most common is people pay points. So what most people do is they'll pay to lower their interest rate. I did the opposite. So I said, I talked to the, my loan officer. I said, I want you to jack up my interest rate as high as possible, which at the time, I think I locked in, it was like four and a quarter percent, which was super high back then. Right. <laughs> um, but in exchange, they gave me a few thousand dollars to help cover some of my closing costs. That's what we ended up doing. Uh, fixed it up. Then a few months later, I refinanced, which got rid of the private mortgage insurance because I had added so much value. Then literally a few months after that, Brexit happened and interest rates dropped. So I refinanced again. So I refinanced twice in six months. And I had gotten a roommate from the get-go and I was paying like 700 bucks a month to live in LA. No, for sure. And I think uh, a lot of things, you know, pretty much everyone we have on this show, they find a way uh, that everyone else runs from. Like for you, you saw the ability, you know, this lady had lived there for 30 years. She had smoked in it. And almost all the people that wanted to make this just their primary residence didn't want to go through the hassle of dealing with that smoke, everything that's required, the, the painting, the, you know, probably you had to go through all the flooring as well mm. and, and just kind of go through the entire house. That's a big undertaking. Uh, but for someone like yourself who is looking to reduce, dramatically reduce your cost of living uh, and also add a lot of equity, which you were able to do, by, you know, and, and, and which caused you your ability to refinance and all of that. Uh, we see that all the time where you take on properties that everyone else runs from. And, you know, what I like about condos, because you bring up a good point, condos are not that difficult to remodel. 
right? You're not dealing with the sewer line. You're not dealing with the roof. You're not dealing with major electrical. It's like, it's mostly the fun stuff, the picking yeah. the floors, the kitchens. Yeah. It's, it's much easier. It's a lower barrier to entry. A lot of my house hacking clients start off with condos. Absolutely. Uh, got a little bit of a niche now with doctors because doctor, they have 0% down loans. Right. Um, and I'm just closing on one this coming week with a doctor who's, who's buying a condo. He is finishing the basement to live downstairs and renting the rest of the rooms out to his other doctor friends who are in residency. You know, and so nice. condos are, are a great, uh, there are a lot of people that use condos, rent by the bedroom. You know, like you said, you don't got to deal with, with a lot of the big ticket items. Sure. Um, and you can just rehab the condo or whatever that is. And renting by the bedroom in a nice condo, you can, you can either live for free or a lot of times make money. Yeah, I mean, in LA, to set the um, expectation is most people aren't going to be living for free in LA, right? You know, but the goal is to lower your expenses. You know, that that's the ultimate goal. And then later on, if you want to keep it as a rental, you can. And you just have to work out the numbers ahead of time, which is what sure. I ended up doing. I can make, you know, I'm actually going to break even on my cost. But you know, as kind of what we talked about, it's like with LA, you should never bank on appreciation, but typically it's there. At the time, I could have rented it out for sixteen hundred. Now I'm renting it out for uh, two thousand. Right? I mean, it's just part of the game. Right. And even if the in the micro, it isn't there. Generally speaking, in LA, if you look at, over the horizon, you're oh, 10, 20 sure. years. I mean, you're certainly going to get it. Whether it comes in, you know, in, in a one or two year span, you know, again, you shouldn't bank on it. But if you look at the long stretch, you're going to probably uh, get appreciation in both rents and and cost of in in the cost of the home. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in LA, just over the last decade, rents have gone up 65%. The LA Times reported that uh, back in January. It's like, mm -hmm. that's massive. For sure. And it's likely to, to do something similar in the next 10 years. I think so. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it doesn't go that fast just for the sake of the tenants. But you know what I'm seeing is, because in LA, you have rent control, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's statewide rent control now for California, but Los Angeles has their own. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a pain to deal with. Because of that, some mom and pop landlords are leaving the market, which leaves an opportunity for people like me and you to be like, well, I'm your only option. Right, for sure. <laughs> for, the, for a lot of these tenants. So yeah, I do think that rents are going to go up. For sure. Because for sure. of that. So, so let's go into uh, your second house hack, sure. which uh, was was unique in the fact that it's an FHA 203k loan. Uh, we talk a lot about that loan on our podcast. We brought in a couple of experts. Um, I myself have used one, you know, big fan of it. Uh, but you also combine that with the ADU aspect of it, which we've also talked a little bit about, but we haven't gone into depth. So tell us a little about that second house hack where you not only did a 203k, uh, but you also created an ADU, some of the pros, but then also I know there were a, a few cons, at least with your particular scenario. Yeah. So at that time, my girlfriend then became fiance, like, all right, we want to buy a house and we want to continue doing the house hacking. So I actually did a line of credit on my condo. So I effectively did it for zero down when I bought this place. We saw the house, you know, we liked some of the numbers. We liked how it was going to be. And we were one of 17 offers, got the offer accepted. We were able to renegotiate the price down almost 10% off our contract price, and we closed. So yes, we did the FHA 203K loan where we remodeled the house, expanded it, and then we built out the um, accessory dwelling unit. So we just did just a standard garage conversion. And currently, my wife and I live in the ADU and we rent out the main house. Awesome. So that's where you're recording from right now. 
Yes. Awesome. Yeah, this is our, my ADU kitchen. Awesome. So, so before we go into kind of the ins and outs of, of that, talk a little about the uh, HELOC loan that you took out. You said the line of credit. Um, we, yeah. we, we touched a little bit on the, on the show, but I think some people underestimate sometimes the, the power of, of having, you know, owning property and then going into your second, because you can utilize the first to help the second. You said that you effectively bought the second for a zero down because you were able to use the line of credit on your first one. So walk us through a little bit of that for those that are uh, not familiar. So you're allowed to, um, if you have equity in your home, in my case, you know, condos really started jumping up in value about 2015 on. And so I had gained some equity. So I pulled out a line of credit. Now, typically lenders don't like you using it to buy. So I, I pulled out because I actually wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. But when you pull out a line of credit, you only get charged interest on the money you use, which is great. So you could have effectively a bank account just sitting there full of money. In this case, we did decide to use it towards the next purchase, and we only paid for the money that we used. Now, we ended up using the full amount, which we can go into why later, because that was not the intention. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, that's the basics of the, the line of credit. It's a second mortgage, and it's usually at a higher interest rate. For sure. So let, let's go through the uh, 203K. Um, some people are familiar. A lot of people are not. First of all, like, what does it allow you to do? And then kind of walk us through your particular deal, sort of a step-by-step guide on, on from start, you know, putting it under contract to completion. So the, the basics is it's a construction loan, but it's for those that are owner-occupied. So I'm, I'm going to live on the property, somewhere on the property. And you can use it for just about anything except for new construction or uh, like building pools. If there's already a pool there, you can use the money. But the money goes towards fixing up a house, adding an ADU, just about whatever you want. So when we entered uh, escrow, we got a contractor out there to give us a bid. We went through the scope of work. We started working with someone called a HUD consultant. And the HUD consultant, um, you effectively are hiring them, but you he works with the bank. He's the guy that comes out or she's the guy that comes out to make sure work is actually happening kind of mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. So they all come out get the bids together, get our scope of work together and get the bank to approve it to make sure that once everything's fixed up there. So they did a value based off of with the addition, with the ADU, what is it going to be worth when it's all done and said, okay, yep, we'll give you the money. So we did that. We closed on it, closed on the property. And that's where things got interesting. <laughs> so for starters, um, the city had changed guidelines on building out the ADUs, so it ended up being a lot more expensive than what we thought, but that's why you have the line of credit from the condo, right? So it's almost like an emergency fund because I had tenants living in there at that time. Mm -hmm. I had moved out. I got tenants paying. So the tenants have been paying the mortgage, been paying the HELOC, all that fun stuff. And then from there, once you know you're ready to get a check issued from the bank, they send the HUD consultant out. He says, okay, uh, sewer work's been done. Electrical has been done. That value is $20,000. Bank, go ahead and do the contractor. Problem we ran into is the lender was super slow. It took them six weeks to get us our first check. And I was like, that's rough. Right. <laughs> because my contractor's like, Rick, I can't, how do I pay my guys? So typically it's supposed to take, and I don't know what your experience was, and I'd love to hear it. It's supposed to take, what, 10 to 14 days, really, from like the whole process mm -hmm. for each check. And it's like, for us, like our first check was like six weeks. Mm -hmm. Our third check was like three weeks. It was like ridiculous. So when, for all those listening, if you're going to go down this route, and I still encourage people to do it, talk to the lenders and set the expectation of how long those checks are going to take. 
So uh, Matt Picaro, he's uh, at the 203K way on, on Instagram. Yeah, he's, I follow he's him. Been on the, yeah, he's been on the show a couple times. I forget the exact website, but if you go to his page and scroll down a little bit, uh, he, he'll have a... Uh, video where it's it's called the 60 second hack and uh anyways you go on this government website which will actually list every lender that is closed uh a deal a 203k in your market uh and that way you can find the lender that's actually you know done a 203k because i had a i had a similar experience i mean i had a lender that they actually sent out the checks on a reasonable time but that was about the only thing that was in a reasonable time you know took (laughs) took about three months to actually close on the property uh just just a lot of challenges but again if you work with a great uh broker like yourself on the real estate side and then you combine that with a lender that actually knows what they're doing uh and can and can you know perform these things on a reasonable timeline it takes a lot of the headache away uh and matt has a lot of great resources if if somebody out there wants to do a 203k and again we have a lot of listeners in la and in california reach out to rick because i'm certain that all of these experiences led to a lot of wisdom surrounding you know these types of loans which i'm sure you help a lot of clients with for sure so i mean in hindsight what i think i would have done is I would have paid more for the HUD consultant to come out more often. Probably what I would have done differently, because this ended up being a very big project. I mean, we we ended up spending all in probably about 215000 Now, good news is we're in the middle of a refinance. Once the refinance is done and you factor in the rent from the main house, we're going to be paying about $574 a month. Which is uh, incredible for LA. Yeah. And that still includes we're going to be hit with private mortgage insurance because it didn't praise quite enough. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's still opportunity in the next year or two for it to go down even more. So kind of, you know, going now into being a broker and stuff, I'm sure you work with a lot of house hackers, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in L.A. Speak to the listeners out there who are in a market similar to yours or maybe in L.A. Uh, what, what is something that you generally go about first and foremost advising them if their goal is to follow a similar path of, of yours? house hacking, dramatically lowering their expense uh, of living in a high-end market like LA? Yeah. So first we always sit down, like, what are your goals, right? So is your is your goal just to live as inexpensively as possible? Is your goal to keep it as a rental? Like I have a client where he house hacked his condo and now we're selling his condo because he's going to upgrade to a house and then house hack the house. So it really depends. So I, I factor in those goals. Now, if they're like, Rick, I want to do what you did. I want to buy a fixer. And it's like, okay, great. Then we need to start defining what their budget is, right? Like, because the first thing you should do is, as you know, is you got to get pre-approved. I had clients get pre-approved for more than what they expected. I've had probably more get pre-approved for less than what they expected. So you have to go through that exercise. And then we kind of go from there. Like in today's market, if I were to start over, I would probably look for at least a three-bedroom uh, three-bedroom condo fixer condos, probably what I would mm-hmm. do. And they're out there mm-hmm. and you can, you know, put 3% down, right? If you're a first time home buyer, so you can be buying a condo all in for like 20,000 house act the other two bedrooms, fix it up, do your thing. Because again, like we said, in, in 10 or 20 years, you know, oh, California yeah. real estate is going to continue to go up and up and up, you know, yeah. and, and I'll never forget my, uh, my uncle who, uh, you know, he unfortunately passed away, but he, he told me the story many times, uh, moving out to LA and, and he worked for the, uh, big sports teams out there. And, um, you know, back in the early nineties when real estate was, you know, I think he bought his place for like 280,000 and, and he just, <laughs> he kept saying real estate is too much, you know, real estate is too much out in LA, but he finally, uh, pulled the trigger. And when he passed away about, you know, 10 years ago, the place was worth almost 2 million, you know, and, and just how much appreciation and not that necessarily in a 20 year span, it'll be that dramatic, but, uh, real estate is going to continue to appreciate over time. Um, especially in, in markets like that. And, you know, 
if you think it's expensive now, waiting isn't necessarily the better option. Everybody, let's take a quick minute and talk about Rent Ready. Are you new to house hacking and wondering how you find tenants and collect rent, especially while trying to maintain professional boundaries and a shared living space? Rent Ready can help you manage your house hack setup. For less than $9 a month, you can do it all. Fill rooms quickly with sites like Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist with a free professionally designed listing page. Find high quality tenants with TransUnion certified background checks, electronically send, signed, and store leases, and collect rent for the entire lease or set up month to month charges. For your tenants, they use RentReady's app to complete the application, sign their lease, and pay you rent. They can even submit maintenance requests from the app instead of knocking on your door. Even better, RentReady is unlimited, so you don't have to pay per unit or per tenant. Just one flat price, which puts more money in your pocket. And speaking of putting more money in your pocket, RentReady has given our listeners a discount to get 50% off any RentReady plan when you sign up using our special code SUCCESS at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using code SUCCESS for 50% off any RentReady plan. All right, let's get back to the episode. My condo is probably worth about 360 now. You know, the, um, the other thing to factor in, especially like Los Angeles, is yes, Los Angeles is an expensive market, but we're still cheaper <laughs> than like San Francisco, mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. If you go overseas, we're probably cheaper than London, Tokyo. People are actually moving here with money. Mm-hmm. You know, back when we could do open houses, it, it seemed like 90% of my open houses, I mean, at least one person moving here from New York because it's cheaper. You get a house. Mm-hmm. We still have the major airports. So if they need to travel, they can do it. And we are, you know, we've over the last, we'll call it 20 years, have been able to develop the hipper restaurants, the cool hikes, like all this stuff that we just didn't have before. You know, and we have better weather. Yeah. So ADUs in California yes. uh, and, and coastal areas have become very popular. And I think yes. they're probably long-term going to become even more popular uh, as, we, as we try to reach demand of, of affordable housing. Uh, you talked a little bit about rent control. Um, you know, so it looks to me... And of course, you, you you would know a lot more than I would. But these larger apartment buildings, you know, aren't don't have the kind of growth that maybe the ADU model and in smaller, you know, two to four units or, or whatever that looks like will have uh, because of of rent caps. Um, talk a little bit about uh, you talked about you know LA changing um, some of the some of the rules around ADUs when you were going about. Uh, talk to the people that are are considering it, what they should think about. Uh, if they are wanting to do an ADU, what what some of those rules are and how you see clients or other people utilizing the ADU model? So for starters, when I look at ADU properties, because I have a lot of clients that either have built ADUs, bought ADUs, a developer I work with has actually flipped three homes with ADUs. I always look at privacy, right? Because the idea behind the ADU is it can create a, you're creating a second unit, but you don't want to necessarily feel like a duplex or an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. You want to so it's like, okay, how can we add privacy? Like in my case, and I know for those that are listening, won't be able to see, but where our kitchen bathroom is, that's actually facing our tenant's yard. So there's no windows facing the yard. So they, they can't see me, I can't see them. We've fenced it off in the backyard. So how can you create outdoor experiences? Mm-hmm. Effectively what we're doing is creating a mini house. 
right? Washer dryer is huge. You know, you're already running plumbing there, so you might as well do it. Um, so I looked at those things, look at um, utilities. So for example, in our case, we made our whole unit all electric. So we split the electric meters, but I didn't have to worry about splitting gas. Um, things like where are the power lines, because if you have power lines running over the garage, you're not allowed to have that. So you have to figure out, okay, how can I reroute it if I even can? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you look at the rents. What are ADUs renting for? And if you're near apartments, that is an alternative. So you can look at the apartment complex and see what they're getting as well. I had mm-hmm. a client of mine. He owns a house with a two-bedroom ADU. He house hacked his first place, and I was his tenant. Then I helped him buy a place, build out an ADU. So he's a repeat client. But in this case, we priced it what we thought was fair for the mm-hmm. ADU, then realized that an apartment complex nearby was similar to bed two bath with washer dryer and it was going for less. So for a lot of the tenants at this price point, they will compare the two. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, you know, because they're like, well, because they're more price sensitive. Because like you said, this is affordable housing mm-hmm. and that's where this is going. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of a house with an ADU versus a duplex, the big advantage is houses with ADUs are generally in nicer neighborhoods. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. I mean, like you're in a residential neighborhood. Right. So, you know, nice streets, great neighbors, all that. Oftentimes with multifamily, you're surrounded by other multifamily, which just isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. For sure. Right. The parking tends to be a little bit harder, that sort of deal. So you can be in prime neighborhoods and be able to have two units. So you talked about um, le- electrical lines going over the garage, uh, sure. things of that nature. What, what are some of the other uh, restrictions that, that LA, for instance, uh, have with, with ADUs? So that's the big one. The other one is parking. So if you're within a half mile radius of uh, public transportation, all you need is two off-street parking spots. So if you have a long driveway, you're fine, whatever. If you're, let's say, up in the hills, which most of your listeners may not be, but for the sake of conversation, if you are, then it's a whole nother ballgame because you need to find parking somewhere for your for your tenants. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are some of the big ones. But for the most part, it's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. to get it permitted you know you get the plans drawn up you you know the city has to turn it around in less than 60 days to get the permit approved um, i hired a permit worth every penny she got it approved in two weeks you know so you spend a few hundred bucks you just get it done because time is yeah, money for sure so so going back a little bit in your story you talked about starting off with reos which for people that are unfamiliar it's real estate owned generally speaking uh, it's bank repossession you you talked about kind of have familiarity with kind of the two hundred thousand range with you know the condo you talked about uh, all the way up to nine point six million I believe. Talk a little bit about uh, what you're seeing now. I mean the market's a lot different than when you started, but are, do you, do you still see REOs? Are there opportunities out there for investors sort of in in LA uh, greater LA market? And you know are those still out there? Yeah. So in terms of there aren't that many foreclosures, right? Because especially right now because of COVID, people can just go into forbearance. And just not, they can just push out their payments. Now, the majority, and then they say, was it 90% of Americans have at least 10% equity in their homes? Mm-hmm. So if you're a homeowner that's financially distressed, you're better off just doing a traditional sale mm-hmm. than going through the foreclosure process. Why have that on your record? Right. You could sell it, get, you know, get your cash and start over. Mm-hmm. I re- uh, represented a client recently where that was the story. 
he bought from the sellers and sellers had lost their jobs and they were in forbearance and all that. So I don't necessarily see foreclosure. I, we'll probably see some. I just don't think we're going to see the massive wave mm-hmm. that people are expecting. Now, in terms of are there going to be opportunities for investors? I think so. Right. I mean, it's not about finding the deals, it's about making the deals. How can you make it work? Can you add another bedroom? Like when we were looking at houses for some clients, right? Okay. What if we considered a two bedroom where you can add a third? or doing the FHA 203k loan and adding an ADU and you can always refinance later on if it makes sense. So it's about getting creative. One of the tips I like to do and what I've been doing is you find a really desirable area in LA, let's say for example, and you live just outside of it because as everyone gets priced out of that one neighborhood, they have to go somewhere and that's where you come in. Yeah. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the growth. For sure. Yeah, and I mean value add is Again, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, people looking for gold. I mean, find anything just beyond um, what the general clientele of an area, uh, you know, there's a threshold, right, to where certain level of, of uncomfortability that they don't want to exceed. Like, for instance, going from a two to three bedroom. I mean, that is a that is a very big step for the traditional consumer of real estate or smoke or, you know, mold. Uh, you know, there's a saying in my area that mold mold is gold. Uh, you know, that a lot I know a lot of clients that I work with that actually target uh, mold because, mm-hmm. you know, relatively speaking, it is not you know, you, you have to have an expertise in it, but it, it, it the cost of it isn't what uh, traditional consumers think it might be. And so finding niches that other people don't want to do within that path of growth is almost always the best way forward of, of building equity. And I love that. What, what do you talk about with value add? Yeah. And you know, what I love about LA is we have a lot of resources. I mean, like a lot, right? There's this whole part of LA where you can go direct for your kitchen cabinets. Like when I did my condo, I didn't know that. And so I went to like Lowe's or like the Home Depots of the world and bought my cabinets. I think I paid like 2,200 bucks just for the cabinets. These cabinets that are in my ADU plus install, I did, I got done for two grand, right? Like in LA, there's so many different resources mm. to find inexpensive. I mean, materials are already expensive as it is, but to, you don't have to go to those traditional big box retailers. I love I love that. And we touch on it a lot on this show, but I'm glad we, we've had you on for our listeners in your area, because if you, you know, if, if, someone out there is listening and you find somebody like Rick, who is a rock star in your area, you've gone through the process of doing this twice now and you've helped several clients and and all of that. I mean, you understand these resources uh, beyond the scope of someone's comprehension. Uh, You know, for people unfamiliar with my story, I mean, my my first deal, I lost uh, thousands of dollars because I didn't have, you know, someone in my corner that understood certain things. Um, And and so finding finding those little small things, like you said, you spent more just for the cabinets than what you did with installation because of all the resources out there in LA. Yeah. And look, I've made plenty of mistakes. I mean, with this house, to be honest, originally the plan was to move into the main house. And then, you know, it just cost more than expected. It was a four month project that took a year because the city kept doing all these delays after delays. And it's just like, I was just so mad. I'm like, I work in real estate. Why is this happening to me? Like, I should know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, we just looked like, hey, this stuff was out of my control. And then mm-hmm. I was talking to my wife and she's like, look, we learned a lot. And now you get to share that with your clients, Right. And I was like, thank God, because like, if this happened to one of my clients, I'd feel so guilty. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's just uh, that's just what it is. People that, you know, kind of do th- do something for the first time. I mean, there's so many right. lessons to be learned. And that's where the the wisdom of your experiences 
now you get to relay that to your clients coming behind you. Look, this is what I've found. I mean, you know, for, from my experience working with, I mean, the lender that I use was a good person. Um, sure. You know, he understood the, the world of financing, but little did I know, I mean, he had no experience with a 203k loan. And that is that is relatively common because not everyone in the lending industry have, have done one. Right. And so that's why, you know, that, that government site, and I wish I knew it offhand, points people to you, you can actually find the lenders that are doing those loans. And there's, you know, they understand the process. They understand the hiccup. And and same with an agent. If you find somebody that has house hacked, that has done a 203K or or has added a third bedroom uh, when you're trying to find a two bedroom, you know, thing, little things like that. There's so much wisdom involved with people that have been through the process before you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And there's so many great resources up there now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure in California, there, there are certain sections for people that qualify for down payment assistance and things like that. I mean, not everyone can or, or qualify, but there's just a lot of resources now out there for, uh, you know, home ownership. And that's why house hacking when, you know, when you combine uh, your primary resident with attempting to uh, better yourself with equity and, and lowering your housing costs, uh, there's a lot of resources out there for you. Yeah. And it also allows you to be more competitive yeah. in the marketplace, right? It's like, okay, not that you should go above your budget, but it allows you to have that flexibility knowing like we ended up capping out our loan amount. Like I had joked with my wife, I was like, we're not going to do this. But then we start realizing, well, we might have to. So then we start factoring in all this extra income we're going to get and allows us to be more competitive. For sure. You know, with the FHA 203k loan, you know, some people's concern with that loan is like, oh, you're going to get, you know, because it's so complicated, it's going to be harder in multiple offer situations, right? Because there's other buyers out there where it's not as complicated. But I took the approach of, look, we're just as good as cash because we don't care about the condition of your home. Mm -hmm. You know, when we made our offer, you know, so like someone else who's doing traditional financing, if the place is in really bad shape, the loan won't go through. My Mm -hmm. case, the loan will go through. So you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, we've talked a couple about your mistake um, as an investor and things. What what are some other learning, some lessons that you've gone through uh, that now in retrospect, you have a little bit more wisdom about the process of being an investor or or being an agent or, or being in real estate in general? Good question. So what were some, so we'll take this house. You know, one of the mistakes I made is I didn't follow my gut. You know, we were referred someone to do some work on the place. And I was like, I don't know. I just, something doesn't feel right. I've asked for certain things. He hasn't delivered. And everyone's like, no, no, give him a shot. Give him a shot. Give him a shot. Well, I should have followed my gut because he was doing a horrible job. I said, hey, I can only pay you when the lender cuts the checks. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I need to get paid weekly. I'm like, no, dude, we set a certain expectation. Mm-hmm. So had I followed my gut and my instinct and said, look, I knew there was something off. If I had done that from the get-go, we probably would have saved a ton of time and a ton of money. You know, So really kind of just listening to yourself, taking a step back. Sometimes this process can really get you moving, like in terms of like your mind's moving a million miles you know, a second. And mm-hmm. So it's just like, no, take a step back, breathe. Does this make sense? Then respond. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was, that was a big one with this project, mm-hmm. you know, and then we had hired someone to be a kind of like a project manager for the project, even though, again, I knew I could do it, but I was just like, no, I'm working. I got other stuff to do. Yeah. But then when I started realizing, oh, she's not doing that great of a job. So I stepped in and said, nope, this is what we're going to do. Create a plan, mm-hmm. right? For all your listeners, especially if they're looking to buy a fixer, create that plan up front. What does that look like? Let's let's go into that because I'm I'm certain um, you know even even if somebody knows they want to do a fixer, maybe they even have one under the belt. It's sometimes difficult to 
to predict the future, you know, sure. when you're talking about, uh, especially for somebody new, you know, trying to, trying to uh, create a plan around the unknown. What should, um, you know, regardless of what the scope of work looks like, what does a plan look like from your perspective? For starters, I create a list of all the work we want done. It's, it's an Excel sheet, right? Keep it simple. So you have a list of all the work that needs to be done who's the, and who's the responsible party, right? So it's like, okay, painter, contractor, flooring guy, whatever. Then you kind of create a timeline, okay, what order does this happen? Okay, the foundation has to happen first, obviously, or demo has to happen first. What else needs to be triggered? So it's almost like a sub-checklist. Okay, I need to get the garbage uh, dumpster here. I got to get that done and paid for. Because you know, there are going to, there's always going to be surprises one way or another. Now, we were fortunate on this project. Construction-wise, there really was no surprises. We did a pretty good job with inspections ahead of time. So we, it wasn't an issue. Our surprises was the delays from the city and from the lender and all that. Um, but yeah, so I do that. And then from there, I actually do start looking at finishes. Because what a lot of people don't realize is the contractor is or the plumber is going to need to know what is your shower head look like? What does your faucet look like? Oh, but I'm not ready yet because, you know, that's going to be months down the road. It's like, well, no, because they need to know where to put the plumbing mm-hmm. for that to happen. So what we've done in the past, what I encourage other people to do is, let's say, create your shopping list like in Amazon or, you know, Wayfair or whatever, and just keep it safe. So you already know which one you're buying and then place the order when you're ready. And a good thing is, is, you know, especially when you're talking about a 203K or, or a similar construction loan, because, you know, VA has one, um, you know, conventional has a, a renovation loan. There are several renovation loans out there, but the HUD consultant that you spoke of and the contractor, mm-hmm. they are also there for people that aren't, I liken the 203K loan to almost like training wheels for a flipping a property because yeah. the bank obviously does not want to lose money. That's job number one of the bank. And so they put these people in place for you to make sure that you don't get screwed. Like you said, there are draws from the bank set in a specific order to make sure that the contract doesn't take advantage of not only the bank, but also you, the consumer. Um, right. So they there are several protections in place to make sure that this project goes along as smooth as possible to protect you. And so the consultant and the contractor are also there to help provide that scope of work and the timeline for you to where you know that might be a daunting task for someone who's never a kind of Considered the fact that they got to actually pick out what kind of shower head they need before work starts because of plumbing, like you said. Uh, but the contractor and the consultant are going to be there and say, listen, this is the order we need it. You need to start figuring out this stuff out. So um, so, yeah, being as prepared as possible uh, is is, you know, obviously recommended. But there are also people involved to help help you along in that process. And the two things to, to add to that is we started doing like weekly calls with our contractor. Okay, this week, what is going to get done? And then the other thing, especially if you're new at um, new at remodels, that you really need to know is that if your contractor needs a decision, you need to make that decision. It's not a wait a week to mm-hmm. make that decision. It's like mm-hmm. you need to talk to your contractor. What decisions do you need this week? Hey, Rick, I need what do, what do you need? What does it go? Oh, yes, the kitchen uh, knobs. Hey, I need these. Great, done. He got them within 48 hours, right? Everything was a quick decision. The only decision we um, lagged on was our, we had these giant French doors. They're gorgeous as part of the addition. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out which one to do. We had to make sure it made certain compliance issues. So that took longer, which then they ended up being on back order. And we couldn't touch our house for 10 weeks. Like our house was empty for 10 weeks. That's the cost of not making a decision quickly. So those are the two things when working with a contractor is turnaround time and having those weekly calls. Super important. So Rick, we, we like to ask uh, a, a question to, to every guest, which is, uh, and LA is, is obviously kind of 
even a step beyond kind of what what the traditional uh you know if you're not in la and, and new york and some of these really hot markets we would like to say like we get a lot of people reaching out to us that want a house hack, mm-hmm. but it seems like there's only, it's almost like the 80, 20 rule applies to, to this as well, to where, you know, it feels like maybe only 20% of the people that set out the house hack actually execute and, and, and house hack. What is it that, that maybe separates those that actually do it and pull the trigger from those that don't? Very good question. The difference is self-actualization. What do I mean by that? So people often say, I don't have enough money because my boss doesn't pay me enough. Okay, well, now that you've realized that, you now have the power to do something about it. Ask for that raise, get another job, get a side hustle. So once you start realizing your obstacles, now you're personally responsible for them and you have the opportunity to act on it, right? So when we bought this house and I started realizing, okay, this guy's not doing his job properly. Okay, well, now I can no longer blame him. I now have to blame myself because I'm not going to do, I'm not doing anything about it, right? So we fired him, brought someone else in, started taking more control. So that's really the difference is, is really taking that self-responsibility and that self-realization that I have to make a change. I can't start blaming other people. That's not going to solve anything. You know, in hindsight, during the 10 weeks that we couldn't touch our house, I should have reached out to um, film scouts to see if anyone wanted to film my house for a construction scene. I could have made yeah. some extra cash. People yeah. pay like bang, like a grand a day, right? And, that, and that's just in hindsight. But yeah, it's. I think that's a lot of it has to do with just you. You personally have to take those action steps. When I bought my first condo, I did not have a lot of money. I got my food budget down to like thirty bucks a week, and that's here in LA. And I had friends who were like, "Hey, you want to go to the movies or do this?" I said, "Hey, I, I, I set a budget. I can only go out to the movies, you know, once a month, whatever it is." You know, you, you have to start, you know, self-discipline. I, I love that because, you know, there really are so many different things we could do, not only in real estate, but just in general. Uh, we, we get people asking us all the time and I do just in general, you know, like things like Tesla and Bitcoin, you know, I mean, there's just all these shiny objects, you know, and there always will be. Um, and, sure. you know, if somebody, you know, obviously you and I are, are huge proponents of house hacking, just what it can do long term. And there's nothing wrong with buying Tesla, nothing wrong with, with buying Bitcoin and all these things. But what I see happen a lot of times is as similar, you know, what you said is that people don't get narrow minded and and really understand what they really truly want. Um, and it's going to come at a cost. You know, there's going to be a lot of delayed gratification. You're going to have to do like what you said, get yourself on, on a budget, uh, especially, you know, to save up that down payment money. Um, and it's going to take being narrow minded for a period to to realize that particular goal, which then uh, from there, the amount of money that you've saved over time allows you to do whatever else it is. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, people don't take that time to, to realize what they really need and want and then and then execute on that on an executable uh, game plan for whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. And look, people's tastes change, right? It's this whole idea like, oh, I want to buy my dream home. It's like, well, when I was single, my dream home was a, you know, a New York style loft condo. Mm-hmm. But when I, you know, when we do have kids, that's not going to be my dream home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's going to be far from it. I'm going to want a yard. I'm going to want space. You know, we live in our ADU right now. This is definitely not our dream home. It's about 350 square feet. Right. Right. So it's like my wife and I both work five feet from each other. Like that's not our dream home. But like you said, it's delayed gratification. It's like when we move out, this house is going to cash flow about a thousand to 1200 bucks a month on our hard costs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how many doors are you going to need in the Midwest to cash flow a thousand bucks? 10 doors. Like, and I don't have to deal with two tenants. That's a hell of a lot better than dealing with so many. And there's nothing wrong with investing in right. the Midwest. Don't get me wrong. Right. 
But yeah, I, I think you're right. It's just it's a lot of delayed gratification. It's understanding you're going to make mistakes along the way, and that's okay. You know, there was a real estate podcast I was listening to, and he brought up a good point. He's like, you know, real estate is very forgiving. You can make mistakes now, but over time, you know, it it, it can exactly. pay you back. Exactly. Yeah. No. No. For sure. And you know, I tell uh, and and. Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets brings up this point. Yeah, a he's lot. only and, brought and it I, up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, you know, not necessarily that in particular, but he talks about your first deal, just like, you know, mine, I, I, uh, it was a complete bomb, you know, uh, my first deal. But, but if you give yourself time and if you literally just get an average deal to where you get a good inspector, it's got a good foundation, there's nothing major with it, real estate is very forgiving. And that over time, the confidence that you gain from that first deal will return such a higher level of ROI than if you hit a home run on the first deal. Because, you know, a lot of people sit and wait for home runs and home runs are, are very few and far between. I mean, you can hit, you know, you can do a very, you know, find a very good deal. But if you're looking for that, you know, absolute home run grand slam, um, a lot of times it, it leads to analysis paralysis where life changes and you never end up executing on it. And so, you know, finding a deal to where it's a it's a it's a good deal. It's it's solid fundamentally, uh, and you can dramatically reduce your cost of living. The confidence involved with that, uh, I see it all the time with clients and myself and friends and and people that do it. Just the just the return on confidence from that first deal. If you get an average deal, is is beyond anything you could ever learn from podcasts and books. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and and uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. And look, if you're waiting for that home run deal, the problem is so is everybody else. And right. the people that and the people that are have cash, you know, or, or, right. or uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, look, people always say the number one rule in real estate is location, location, location. I say that is the number two rule. The number one rule in real estate is that the market waits for no one. I had a client. I've had clients who are like, oh, I think I'm going to wait. Why? I have a friend of mine and I always make fun of him for this because we had talked about him buying like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why don't you just buy like a little condo? You'll be fine. All that. No, no, I don't want that lifestyle. Fast forward to today, he's priced out of what he wanted. And worse yet, he's still living in the same apartment. <laughs> had he bought a condo, he would have had the same lifestyle, only literally it probably would have made like 100K because I actually showed him like the data. It's like, dude, if you had bought five years ago and you banked on that appreciation, you did this, it's like, you, I would have made you $100,000. And you turned that down. It's like, yeah, I know I screwed up. I'm like, yes, but that's okay. We learned from that. You know, and then we go looking for things. So yeah, look for those base hits. There, sure. There's so, the, the first, you know, the first deal brings so much more than just the gains, uh, the monetary gains from mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, if, if someone's out there like you and I, you know, and potentially wants to build out a portfolio or whatever it is, I mean, the, 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 you know, I hear it all the time too, that I want to wait for, you know, downturn and, and that's fine. That's, that's logical in some ways, but the, but the problem is, is that, you know, building a reputation, like in, in times of, you know, market downturn, that means that credit squeezes, that means that less, you know, that, that it's, it's much more difficult to, to get financing. Uh, and it's even more dramatically more difficult to find like private money and hard money and things like that, which is readily available during a good market. Um, yeah. And so building that confidence and then also, you know, building building out the credibility needed to be able to bring on private money and things like that to be able to build a portfolio during the downturns comes from you being able to do it during, you know, times where it's easier to get in. And so I tell people all the time in the short term, you know, if you find a place 
like, you know, where we live, you can find, you know, duplex and triplexes where you can come pretty close to living for free. And, and out in L.A., you might be, you know, paying three to seven hundred kind of like your scenarios uh, mm -hmm. a month. But those are still dramatically less where you gain that confidence. You also build that reputation and, and combining those two during downturns where, where credit squeezes, you have the ability to go to other investors and say, listen, I have a little bit of a track record. Invest in me. And you build those relationships. And that's part of the puzzle that some people forget about when they talk about, oh, I want to buy, buy during a downturn and their their goal is to build a portfolio. It's like, yeah, but, you know, credit challenges that you're going to face during those downturns, you have to be able to build out, you know, the confidence needed to sustain that because there are going to be a lot of pressures telling you that the sky is falling when things do change. And you bring up a really interesting point. So people do want to wait for the downturn. The issue is one that's really hard to predict. And my hunch for some of those people is even if there was a downturn, they're going to come up with another excuse not to buy. Absolutely. All right. If, if you're not, because like, okay, you buy today, let's say the market drops today. Okay. It's a paper loss. Doesn't mean you have to sell. Just keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to do. Keep and making your payments. Exactly. It's like I sold a house once. She, um, her and her husband, they bought it back in like the nineties for like 500,000. I ended up selling it as a teardown for almost 1.5. It's like it almost tripled in value. And it's like, well, they went through a couple of downturns. I think they did okay. <laughs> I think they survived. You know? sure. But yeah, most of the people that I'm talking to when they're like, I'd rather wait for a downturn. It's like it, you and I both know you can't predict it. Almost nobody predicted it the last round. And you're just coming up with an excuse not to buy. And as you said earlier, you know, and, and you and I being uh, agents and, and you being a broker and being heavily involved. I mean, this one, no matter what it is, first of all, no one's going to be, you know, you know, no one's going to predict it uh, right. because there's so many variables. And second sure. of all, it's going to be completely different than the last time, because like you said, oh, people yeah. have people have equity. And so the dramatic loss in paper, like you said, from the market being undercut, probably, you know, almost certainly is not going to be as severe. It's probably going to be another exterior factor, which is an even more challenging to predict and, and how it's going to affect. I mean, uh, I'm sure, Rick, you and I uh, had similar experiences where back in March and April when things were really heating up. I mean, yeah. I remember getting on, on Zoom calls with a lot of the leaders, not only in my market, but throughout the country. And it was really challenging to predict what was going to happen on the other side of this, oh, you yeah. know, because conventional wisdom said people being out of jobs probably means that we're going to see uh, a, dra a dramatic decrease and, um, you know, people wanting to buy new homes. Well, it's the exact opposite because people were cooped up and there was so much going on all around that people wanted a distraction. They wanted out of their current situation. And so, you know, it dramatically rose in the amount of people wanting to buy new homes. And it also lowered the amount of people that, that were selling because they didn't want people coming through their house with the virus. Um, <laughs> And so you could, it was impossible to predict that perfect yeah. storm to where this summer has been unlike anything else. And I know it's similar in L.A., uh, you know, as far as the the competitiveness of the market. And yeah. so it, it's almost impossible to, to predict it. Gaining that confidence of the first deal is beyond anything you can you can possibly replicate with books and podcasts. I'm a huge advocate of, of finding a good deal that is just a solid deal. And then going from there, whether you pull money out in the HELOC, there's just so many options. Yeah. Getting involved is is the first step. And don't be scared to pay over list price with that said. Like if the numbers work, the numbers work. You know, I, I've worked with people like it could have been listed for a dollar and they would have offered 97 cents. I'm like, well, yeah. guess what? Now you're not getting it. Yeah. Congrats. Right. You know, I was fortunate. I got below list on my condo. This house, we were still 21,000 above the list price. Mm -hmm. And we still made it work. And now it's been a great uh, ROI for you. Yeah, it's yeah. Once the refinance is done, it'll it's going to be a good one. We're Absolutely. excited. 
then Absolutely. we're looking to um, have tenants in my condo. If they decide to move out, we'll probably sell it because if you lived in it two of the last five years, the money's still tax-free. Mm-hmm. Then we'll use that money to fund the next ADU project. Absolutely. So Rick, uh, let's talk about a lifestyle or kind of a business podcast or book that that has uh, whether it's something you're listening to now or reading now or just over your time, like what what uh, what book or, or podcast do you recommend for kind of business or lifestyle or just mindset in general? Yeah, so uh, I do listen to Bigger Pockets. That's probably one that you probably heard of. It's the big one. Um, I do like that one because it does talk about a lot of things real estate related. And they also tell you to like if someone brings up something, they'll say stop, explain it. Mm-hmm. I think that's super important. So that's really kind of the big one. I actually do listen to Freakonomics radio. And that one's not so much of like business related, but it's more of just critical thinking. So for those that aren't familiar, Freakonomics was a book that came out where by two economists and they compared all sorts of random things. And they actually found correlations between them. Um, but now they'll do interviews like why does you know, why is Trader Joe's the most profitable per square foot grocery store? Or they'll interview like the um, about COVID and the respirators and why some states are doing better than others and things like that. And so I, I really like the critical thinking aspect because it reminds me in my life, I have to be a critical thinker. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And, and the reason why we ask that question is because uh, house hacking generally speaking, is so much beyond just real estate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what makes up why somebody would choose to change a lifestyle from the pro-typical American way. And so we like to ask that because there are so many correlations just between what it actually takes, you know, and there's kind of a movement of, of being able to be, you know, not only are we are now working remotely, uh, but, but, you know, before this and probably beyond this, there's a lot of a push to kind of be able to get out and experience the world to where, you know, generations before us were so tied to their job. Now we have the ability to get out and move uh, and, and sort of, you know, experience different things. And, and house hacking uh, dramatically uh, is attached to that. Oh, for sure. I think we're, we're seeing a cultural shift of we work to live versus live to work. Yeah. Right. That's how a lot of other countries are. My wife and I love to travel. And unfortunately, we couldn't do that much this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the United States, we tend to to do that. I used to work a ton of long hours. I still work a lot, but I'm trying to cut back. It's like, no, my life does not revolve around this. Mm-hmm. My life revolves around my family, my friends. And to your point, like house hacking allows me to do that. Even if I live into a main house and I have a back unit, if you do the privacy right, if you do the fencing right, it's like, okay, it's a neighbor. It's a neighbor that pays you. Yeah. Okay, so I don't have a garage. Well, Southern California, the weather's not that bad <laughs> and I can spend 500 bucks and go build my own little shed Yeah, for my storage stuff. Like for I'll sure. live. For sure. So uh, what about, uh, you talked a little bit about bigger pockets, but a real estate book or, or podcast that, that sort of helped you maybe uh, in, in house hacking or just real estate in general? Um, <laughs> I really like Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Mm-hmm. I read that um, back in like 2010. So when before my my broker, like the broker on record, before he was willing to mentor me and have me work for him, he made me do a bunch of different things. <laughs> One of which was like, get your license, you know, read these books. And it's like, I just read them quick. Um, so that book really helped. Uh, Richest Man in Babylon, amazing book. And for those who aren't familiar with that, you can read that in a day. It's like, I don't know, 100 pages. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. I have, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's 
basic, basic stuff. And honestly, if I had listened, if I had just reread that book before I did the remodel in this house, I would have saved a bunch of money. So those two books are really good to get started. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we talk about that a lot. You know, like if you want to find a people ask us all the time about mentor, mentors and mentorship and all this sort of things. And it's sort of become a buzzword. Um, sure. But at least from my experience, you know, I have never went and asked somebody to be a mentor. But but, be, you know, if you find somebody that is actually worthwhile to be a mentor, they're probably not just going to say yes. And for right. instance, you you talked about your mentor, you know, making you or, or, or advising you to read several uh, books and, and, and do several things before you prove to him that you were serious. And, uh, you know, it, it's very similar. I mean, you know, if you're going to find somebody worth your while, you're going to either have to do something that helps them uh, or, or to get in their osmosis um, or, or, you know, or go through some, tort, some sort of steps to be involved in whatever it is, you know, whether it's a real estate brokerage or, or whatever. I mean, you're going to have to be able to add some value uh, to, to have someone really impact your life like that. I totally agree. Yeah, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. So if these people are going to mentor you, they want to make sure they get their return. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that could be and that could be just personal gratification, right? It doesn't necessarily mean they want money or whatever, mm-hmm. but they want to know that they're making an impact. You know, I would hate to be mentoring someone, them not doing anything I ask them to do or not doing anything they're supposed to be doing, and then they still keep coming back. It's like mm-hmm. I I'd rather help someone who's willing to help themselves. For sure. For sure. So, Rick, uh, we genuinely appreciate you coming on. We have a lot of people, like I said, from California, from L.A. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, sure. So you can uh, find me on my personal website, rickalbertonline.com. Um, feel free to reach out to me through Instagram at, uh, at Rick B as in boy Albert. So Rick B. Albert. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook, the same um, handle there. So those are probably the best ways to find me. Uh, and uh, I, I'm pretty quick to respond. For sure. And, and I say like that we, now. We'll see what happens yeah, after this, yeah. this airs. And, and, and like we said, I mean, we say it on the show all the time. Rockstars hang with Rockstars. Um, and, and as you said earlier, you know, a lot of the resources with your cabinet and so many things that go into just real estate in general and, and being a house hacker and stuff, there's, there's more than you could, you know, than a new beginner could comprehend involved with, with things of that nature. And so finding somebody like Rick in LA will, will not only give you access to, you know, a great realtor and and broker and things of that nature, but, but, you know, I'm certain, uh, because I experienced it personally, that the thing that probably you detest most is working with a loan officer that is below average, you know, somebody that doesn't close or doesn't set out or doesn't put your clients first and things like that. So, you know, Rick, I'm sure works with rockstar lenders and works with, you know, rockstar lawyers and rockstar property managers and, and all the, you know, th- you know, accountants and, and CPA, you know, everything that you would need to become a, a house hacker or a real estate investor and building a portfolio and all that, you know, you find someone in your market like Rick, um, you know, it, it then begins to compound beyond that. They put you in touch with with this person and that person puts you in touch with this. Uh, and you just begin to form a team and a community around what you're doing. And so uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Rick. Of course, I appreciate the opportunity. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So so if anyone, again, is, is in that market, reach out to Rick. We really encourage it. I'm sure he'll be able to put you in touch with, with the people in his market. Yeah, and, happy and, to help. And so, uh, Rick, again, we appreciate it. And we look forward to staying in touch and, and uh, growing this community. Perfect. I look forward to it. All right, Rick. You have a good one. <laughs> Thanks. You too.